Welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoon. My name is Helen Mully and I am so excited to be able to tell you that the author in your classroom or wherever you're listening for this episode is a very special guest indeed. In fact, she's practically literary royalty. Now, if I tell you that she's our current children's laureate, I hope at least some of you listening might be able to name her. Well done, everyone who got it right. She is, of course, the astonishingly talented, prolific and properly lovely Cressida Cowell. Welcome to the podcast, Cressida. Oh, thank you for having me on the podcast. Oh, it's our pleasure. Now, I don't need to tell our listeners. I'm sure that you're the author who created the How to Train Your Dragon series with its 12 titles, its film franchise, its TV series. You're also behind the lovely Emily Brown picture books done with Neil Layton. And more recently, the wonderful Wizards of Once Adventures, the fourth and final installment of which has just been published and which I've been reading and loving this week. (laughs) It's kept me absolutely absorbed. It's been lovely. I do want to talk to you, Cressida, about the Wizards of Once and the magical creatures you've created for it. But before we get on to that, perhaps you could tell our listeners a little bit about how you came to be a writer in the first place. Oh, yes, that's interesting. Well, yes, Um, when I was little. (laughs) It's a great way to start a story. I'm I'm making this up. (laughs) So I should just warn you, this is true. I do make up a lot of myself, but this is true. When I was little, I grew up in London in a house without a garden, but... My my dad was a mad keen bird watcher. He was chairman of this thing called the RSPB. And then later after his, his job was in London, but after he retired, he was chairman of Kew Gardens, which looks after the all plants and everything. Anyway, so what that meant was that when <laughs> his heart was in the wilderness, although his job was in London. So every year from when I was a baby, we would be taken to this uninhabited island off the west coast of Scotland, an island so small that when you stood at the top of it, you could see sea all around you. And there was nothing on this island. No houses, no no mobile phones back in the 1970s. Absolutely no way of contacting the outside world if something went wrong. And the island is so small that when you stood on the top of it, you could see sea all around that you. That sounds like Kieran Island. Exactly. It's like, in fact, it's very like, and this is the Isle of Burke, where Hiccup lives. Of yeah. course. Ah, yes. And this, this, this was part of an, um, a, 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 an archipelago of islands off the west coast of Scotland. And west coast of Scotland was the first place the Vikings came to when they invaded Great Britain. It was the last place they left. So real Vikings would have lived up that island a long time ago. And Vikings believed that dragons really existed. Yeah, they thought they were magical creatures Uh that could exist in earth, air, sea, fire. So you see where this this story is going, where where I thought, because from when I was nine, uh, my dad had a house built on the island. And then we spent the whole summer on that island in one little house with no electricity. So here's the thing. I'm going to ask all these kids, would you like to spend the whole summer on an island (laughs) of your own? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But here's the other thing. An island with a little house that has no television on no it. No television. <gasps> Imagine. 
(laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so I spent a whole summer on that island with no television. Um, And so I read lots of books. Right. And I also played and went out on my own in rubber dinghies because this was the 1970s and, (laughs) you know, children just played on Sufi. So you can see where all the stories came from. And why I read a lot and why I wrote a lot. Yes, it turned into writing. It turned into yeah. writing writing the stories that I guess were almost all around you. Yeah. And this is something very important to say to children. My handwriting when I was little was terrible. <laughs> and my spelling wasn't very good either. And that's really important to tell to children because often I think... When I was little, I thought I can still remember the name of the kid whose handwriting was the most beautiful. She was called H- Henrietta Wallace. <laughs> handwriting oh, was how's really... her writing so career thought... going? <laughs> you see, that's the thing. I want to tell you, it's not about your writing. It's about your ideas. Yes. And it's also not a race. If there's any adults in the room, teachers or parents, they I hope they can tell the children it's not a race. It, it, it's you know you're all going to learn how to read one day. You're all going to learn how to write. It's about your ideas, and I don't want a kid who has amazing ideas um, to be put off, uh, uh, but struggles with the mechanics of reading or the mechanics of writing to be put off. That's why I make some of my heroes wish the hero of Wizards of Once is dyslexic. This thing called yeah. dyslexic. But she is the writer because she's the one with the amazing magical ideas. Because I don't want children to be put off. Absolutely. And and The Wizard of Once is, it's an amazing series. And you talked a bit about about where Hiccup came from. Yes. It came from your, your Viking, Viking-steeped island. Yeah. But w- when did you start thinking about this this idea of, of the the wizards and the witches and the warriors in conflict with each other in this this familiar yet strange landscape that that was also inspired by somewhere in in my childhood near where my grandmother lived in 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 Sussex because the thing about Great Britain is a, we are in a landscape that is filled with stories yes. um, because people have lived here for so many thousands of years so I used to play, again, in the 1970s, I always go into schools and say, would children love to be able to play without the adults being there? We just used to play outside on our own on our bicycles, you know. Yeah. And um, and th- there was lots of amazing woods near nearby where my grandmother lived. And uh, I used to play in the woods and um, that's where the wild woods come from. But there were lots of stories about magic because... People of the past really believed that magic, a bit like dragons, existed. So there were lots of stories about giants and fairies, and and I used to imagine again, what you know, what if what if the people were right? What if you know, what if what if magic really exists, a bit like dragons? Yes, and and that that's what I wanted to ask you. I, you know, the the Wizards of Once is is full of of magic. Um, and it's and it's fantastic, but it has really quite strict rules. Do you think that's important when you're writing about about magical creatures and situations to to know what the rules are, or or to have an idea of what you think the rules might be? Yes, I think that's a really interesting question. Yes, I think it is because because you're trying to create a world that children will think really exists yes and all everything has has laws you know we're, we're surrounded by um, a, a world of laws aren't we you know science laws and so so I think you sort of have to make up if you're going to make a world that might feel real yeah um, you, you have to make up the rules of that world and you often try and make them up based on on nature you know um, uh, because 
because that will make the world feel, even though you're making up a magical creature, it will feel real if you've based it on some natural or some real creature that does exist in the world. Um, then it will make, then it will feel, I often say, yeah, this is important. Writing is like telling a really big lie. <laughs> Okay. A real stretcher of a lie. The more detail you put into the lie, and the more you base it on a tr- tiny grain of truth, the more it comes alive in your in your reader or your watcher's head. And that's really important, you know, to, to tell um, people because um, that goes for everything about writing. If I say Gobba had a big red beard, can you see the beard in your head? Sort of. But if I say Gobba had a beard like exploding fireworks or Gobba had a beard like a hedgehog struck by lightning, <laughs> can you see the beard a bit more clearly? Because I've I've based it on something true, something something that you can see or you can smell, or you can touch or you can taste or you can hear. Yeah. Um, and so that so think about that when you're doing your writing or when you're creating your magical creatures or your magical world, you want it to feel true. So yeah, try and do lots of research into true things to make it feel real. So when I started off creating this world of magic, I did lots of looking up about what people believed about magic in the past. Yeah. And that gave me an idea for one of the rules of my world in the in the world, which and I also I did lots of research in, into the Bronze Ages, even though this is fantasy. I, I did loads of research into the Bronze Age because research is really interesting. You find out all these amazing facts. Like I found out this fact about the bronze, you know, about what people used to believe about magic. They used to believe that magic was allergic to iron. Yeah, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? And they yeah. probably thought that because at the end of the Bronze Ages, there were all these people coming in who were these Iron Age people who had iron swords and iron was stronger than bronze. Yeah. So it must be magic. Yeah. So, and the magic, the Bronze, bronze Age warriors couldn't fight against the magic uh-huh. and the iron. So that's I think that's probably where it came from. But there was this belief that magic was allergic to iron. And so um, that's what I put. I find that out and I think, oh, how interesting. People used to put iron horseshoes outside their houses to frighten away the fairies. So I put that into, into my story that magic's allergic to iron. And that's why when the warriors come, the, 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 the magic things and the iron warriors come invading. This is about a world split in two. Yeah. Um, where the iron warriors are invading and they're and um they're trying to get rid of all the magic. So all the giants and the sprites and the werewolves and they're cutting down the trees to to build their forts and their fields and their new modern world. Yeah. It's all sounding a bit a bit familiar to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it, it would it would be it would be lovely um, if you could perhaps read a little bit of the latest, the, the final instalment in in the series, Cressida, um, and we've picked an extract which focuses on one of the one of the many fantastic magical creatures that you've created for it. So, should we have a, a little pause just for a moment while we find the right page and then come back for a taste of the world of the wizards of once. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom with our very special guest for this episode, Cressida Cowell. Cressida, you're going to read a part of your latest book, Never and Forever, for us now, featuring just one of the many magical creatures from it. 
so that we know what's going on, perhaps you could just explain a little bit about what's happening in the story before you start. Just to fill you in, this story is about two children from two opposite tribes. So it's, it's Tsar, who's the boy hero, is a wizard, but he has no magic and he would do anything to get it. Okay. And Wish is um, a warrior girl, but she has a magical secret, which is that she has a magic eye and she also has magic that works on iron. Okay. So the witches who are these very bad people are trying to get hold of Wish because um, she has magic that works on iron. And in this book, what, what's been happening is the witches have been trying to take over this world, yeah. And Wish and Tsar, who are heroes from opposite tribes, are joining together, yeah, against their parents. They've run away. They've run away to look for a spell to get rid of the witches, yeah. And one of the last things they have to find is a cup with which to, to, to mix the spell in. So they're underneath the ground. Imagine being underneath the ground in something called the mine of happiness. And they're oh, stuck underneath the ground looking for this cup. And this is where Tsar meets something called a tatsal worm. Who would like to be meeting a tatsal worm a mile underground? Not me. Anyway, tatsal worm, shouted Tsar. We need to talk. The glowing eyes moved slowly, carefully towards him, narrowed to little splinters, and the creature stopped. The tattoo worm was never going to admit it, of course, but she was already surprised. She had given her really most terrifying high-pitched death screams, <laughs> and normally the food would have been mouth-wateringly petrified by this time. It wouldn't have been lying on its back trying to start an interesting chat. She knew better, however, than to let the food talk itself into a state of execution. The only reason she hasn't dispatched it so far was that for some mysterious reason, she didn't seem to have frightened it yet. Now, that's because Tsar is this very unfrightenable person. He's, he's, he's got a lot of faults, Tsar, but he's the kind of kid who isn't frightened of anything. I haven't decided whether I'm going to tear you limb from limb or whether I should suck you out of your wrapping like a limpet out of its shell and swallow you whole, tears the worm. And she sniffed the air, hopefully. No sign yet of the delicious sweet smell of fear, which would make this meal as scrumptious as hazelnuts dipped in honey. How disappointing. That last threat really should have had the food in exquisite quake of anxiety, wobbling with the scrumptiousness of a toothsome little jellyfish. The tatsa worm slithered forward slowly, thoughtfully, so close now that Zar could begin to make her out in the light of the bowl of the spoon. Oh, by the way, the spoon <laughs> is alive. Of course. <laughs> Just thought I'd mention that, you know, <laughs> because this is a world in which, well, Wish, the spoon is made as of iron, but Wish has brought it alive because she has magic that works on iron. So it's a, a living spoon. I love the spoon. I love the spoon too. The spoon is a <laughs> spoon. It can't talk, but it can run around. And anyway, so yeah, the spoon is frightened, which, <laughs> which really Zar should have been frightened. Can you imagine being a mile under the ground face with a, I'd be frightened. Zar could make out her eyes first and then her glittering smile for one of the dreadful things about the tatsa worm is how it smiles even when it attacks. The tatsa worm is a kind of dragon. 
So there was something lizardy in this particular taxiworm's cat-like face, as well as a keen, crafty intelligence in her calculating eyes. But the wings on her serpentine body were long, withered and ruined, for she had chosen to live in an iron mine, and that choice would have taken away her magic. What desperation would have made this creature willfully choose to live somewhere that would inevitably mean the destruction of the thing that made her so special? That meant she would forever no longer be able to fly up and join her ancestors in the sky when her dying time came. I don't need to talk, hissed the tatsaworm, and her grin was truly awful to behold. I need to eat. Oh, oh I, I, dear. Oh, that, was, that was so good. Thank you so much. Well, that's a scary magical creature. It is. And I want to think about, yes, are we, can we talk about it? Because I would love Go it on. if you would make up your own magical creatures. Yeah. Um, because I know that children are fantastic at making things up. And uh, they're the most creative people in the world, children, because they don't know the rules yet. <laughs> <laughs> children are magic. Yeah. Um, but I want you to think about when you're making up a magic creature, if you're thinking up a dangerous creature like that, what I want you to do is to think about what would be really, I want you to think about really scaring yourself because that's what I'm doing in my books. I'm either, I'm either really scaring you or I'm making you laugh or I'm making you cry or I'm making you think. So I want you to think about if you're make, making a scary magical creature, making something that would be really scary would scare you. Um, but also to do research into real scary creatures. Yeah, that, that gives you lots of ideas. So the tatsal worm is sort of based on a, on a lizard, um, but also a real creature called a tatsal worm. If you look up the tatsal worm on the internet, you'll find out that there really was a creature called that. Oh. So that's a, that gives you ideas as well, looking up. Um, so if I'm quite trying to create a new kind of dragon, I will look up um, lots of wonderful creatures and I'll find, oh my goodness, there really is a creature in the world that is see-through. <laughs> yeah, there are imagine, amazing sea uh, creatures under the sea that are see-through and, and that'll give me an idea. I'll say, you know, I'll find a fish that is see-through and I'll think, oh, what if there was a monster that was see-through so that you could see its victims being digested when they went through the alimentary canal? Ah, wouldn't that be scary? <laughs> you sound like you quite yeah. relish the idea, Cressida, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, when I'm creating the, the scary ones, that's what I want to do. But then if I want to create a really cute creature, like a like a sort of sweet little magical creature, like that's a hairy sprite. Thing. Yes, a hairy sprite. Then I'll be looking up really cute little creatures like pugs, or, you know, <laughs> or well, actually, the sprites aren't. The, 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 you know, squeeze juice is one of the sprites is based on insects. So I'll be looking at fuzzy little bumblebees or <laughs> little monkeys and things like that. Really cute things because that's that gives you ideas. And nature is so amazing. It gives you ideas. It is. I think there's something else that's interesting about what you do when you create your magical creatures as well, which is the tatsawam is properly, properly scary. <laughs> yes. um, and and, Sorry. and, and, and <laughs> Yeah, thank you. You know, a few nightmares there. And Squeeze Juice <laughs> is properly adorable and cute and strange and bizarre. But for both of them, there's also this 
this um, aspect of, of empathy yes. there. So even while you're describing how the tatsel worm yeah. is desperate to eat Zar, you make us pause for a little bit and we think about her poor shriveled wings and, oh, and yeah. why on earth she would choose to live underground in a mine. And I think I can't think of a single one of your magical creatures where we're not asked to yeah. think about what it might be like to be that creature. Yeah. That's really, there are two things that are really important. Sometimes I do, I am scary, but notice the children in in, in the books are generally not scared. Mm-hmm. Or even if they're scared, I have given them the ability to deal with that creature. And so they deal with it. You're interested, you know, Wish will deal with creatures like the Tatsa worm with her empathy with her ability to see things from the tatsa worms. And that's very important when you're when you're meeting problems to be able, that's one way of dealing with, with things that you might be frightened of. Another way is your creativity, mm. your imagination. Uh, they're often, the children d- defeat, you know, the things that they meet with their creativity, their imagination and their intelligence. And I'm a huge believer in children's um intelligence and their creativity and their empathy and that's really important for children to know that they can overcome things that they're scared of they are they are strong enough to do that yeah even though it might not it might look that wishes are much smaller than the things they are facing they can do it they have belief in themselves and those those are some of the, the things that they're using. I'm really interested you noticed that about empathy. Empathy is really important for you to be able to see things from other people's points of view. And maybe people who you thought were your enemies aren't really. It's important to to think about things like that, I think. I completely agree. That's It's fantastic advice, Cresta. And I would just like to remind um, the teachers and the parents listening, don't forget, we, we put together an exclusive free resources pack to go with every episode of Author in Your Classroom. They're crowned with um, activities and planning sheets and illustrations and, and ideas based on, on what our guests share with us to support children in producing their own author-inspired writing and you can download the pack for this episode at plazoom.com the details are in the episode notes uh Cressida we're, we're almost out of time oh, no. but I want to ask you about your special to-do list your laureate's to-do list yes so can I just press pause once again before we dive into the third and final part of this episode Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom with me, Helen Mully, and my super special guest, Cressida Cowell. Cressida, what, it's a grand title. What does it really mean to you, though, to be Children's Laureate? Oh, it's so important to me um, because I love films and telly. I love them. (laughs) I watch loads and loads of films and telly. But books are incredibly important to me. And that's what being a children's laureate is about. It's it's about helping children find the magic of books because reading is magic and magic is for everyone. So that's really what being a laureate is about. It's it's helping children find the magic of books um, because there's something very special about a book. In a, a film, it seems, you know, it happens on a screen. It's out there in a book. You really feel you are that person. 
Yeah. You are that person. So there's a, there's a real magic to books. And they're particularly good about um, making children creative because children are so creative and intelligent <laughs> and empathetic, all the things we've been talking about. So, yes. It's very important to me. Absolutely. And I know you 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 put a to-do list together because every you yeah. know, everyone needs a to-do list. Yes. Um, so how did you decide on yours? Because I, I just looked at all the things that I think are really important. Um, so reading for the joy of it is is the most important thing, not because somebody tells you to or because, you know, so finding books that, that, that really you love. So that was number mm-hmm. one. That was almost the most important thing. Seeing yourself reflected in a book. I'm not going to do them in order. <laughs> Seeing yourself reflected in a book is so important. There needs to be so many books out there that so that you can find, you know, yourself in a book. You can see somebody like you in, in the book. That's very, very important. Children should all have the right to, to have that. Um, and to see people like them being the hero, yeah. you know, and books being written by people like them. So that's very important. Children being creative for at least 15 minutes a week. This is really important in a magical creature career. Because learning how to spell and how to, how to you know, that's, that's all very, you know, it's important. It is important. But you also need to, to have one, I think, one special place where you can, and ideally it would be a book, where you can write whatever you mm. want and the teacher cannot mark it. <laughs> Did you hear that, <laughs> That's teachers? Very important. <laughs> yes. Just one. I had a lovely teacher in year three, Miss Mellows, who did that for me. And 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 it was really important because I told you about my messy handwriting and all of that kind of thing. But in this one book, I was allowed to write whatever I want. And I wouldn't that be lovely if I, I I'd say to I'd go into schools and I say, Would you like that? One book where you could, you know, create your own creatures, you could write whatever you want, you could make an old a game, a, a design a game, you could do whatever you wanted, just in that one book, and nobody marked it. And so many children, <laughs> they all put yes. up their hands. And even the teachers put up their hands. It's a win for the teachers. <laughs> no marking. No marking. <laughs> just for 15 minutes. So just a small space where children can can write and create for the joy of it. That's a that's a really important one for me. They're all important. Number 10 is having a planet to read on. <laughs> that's a big one. That's pretty that's, important, I, I would one. say. Yes. But but you see, who is, you know, this is why I love writing for children. I, I think children are often leading the way. Who who is currently leading, yeah, the climate change kind of um us thinking about climate change all over the world? Is it an adult? Or is it a child? Ah, Greta Thunberg, yeah. yeah. So, so I think it's very important to have that on a, on a children's laureate because children are leading the way. Children, we've got a lot to learn from children. The adults have so much to learn yeah. from children. Seeing an author event at least once, that's why I'm so glad that you're doing this um, podcast, you know, because it's really important for um, children to see authors. It really helps them because... Films and telly are, are kind of, you know, magically beamed into children's heads. But when they see an author, they can suddenly get excited and think, oh, actually, I haven't tried, you know, this uh, books properly. You know, maybe I'd like these ones. So that's very yeah. important. Um, and this is another big one for me. Um, every child should be have a library, oh, you know, yes. uh, access to a library or a li- librarian. Um, because, because, you know, because some, some, some people come from families that can't afford books. And and that it's very important that, that this is a magic that should be for everyone. 
I think that's very, very important. Absolutely. Well, I have to say, as to-do lists go, that 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 sounds like a pretty important and, and powerful one. And um, I wish you all the best. Thank with, you. Oh, with, um, with, and as, as oh, yes. teachers and parents will be, um, this is something that teachers and parents can do, be read aloud to. Oh, yes. I, I think, yes, that's so important. That's something that parents and, and teachers can do. I know I feel so guilty about saying talking to teachers because I know you're so busy, teachers. <laughs> um, it's so busy. And I, I know there's so many. Um, and parents as well, as a parent myself, I know at the end of the day, you're all knackered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're all knackered. But it can have such an effect because often children are cleverer then their reading ability allows them to access, yeah? Yeah. And so I was, you know, so if a teacher can find time just to read aloud to the class, class, you know, it can it can be so brilliant or, a, or an adult, you know, reading aloud that just 10 minutes a day uh, makes such a difference. I remember every book that was read aloud to me to, as, to, as a child by an adult or a teacher. I remember every single one. Yeah, those those voices. Yeah, yeah. those voices. So important. Yeah. So if 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 you adults can find time to do that, you can really make a difference. There you go. Fifteen minutes of writing whatever they like in a book yeah. and reading aloud as as often as you as you can manage it. That that yeah. sounds like a good recipe to me. Yeah, and if you're creating a magical creature. Uh, that's my other tip. If you're creating a imagine, you know what? You know, if I had a magical power, what would it be? What would I like it to be? Could it be being invisible? Could it be being, you know, um, could it be being? Oh, um, I'm trying to think. Yes, uh, changing colours, chameleons, yes. you know, and doing lots of research into real things to give you ideas for stories and creatures. That's absolutely wonderful, Cressida. Thank you so much for joining us. It's it's been an absolute joy talking to you. I want to go off and write something now. And I'm <laughs> That's sure I, excellent. That's I really what I'm do. hoping is going to happen. <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners are, are just bursting with ideas for their own writing, their own magical creatures so so thank you so much for being with us and and that's it for this episode thanks everyone for listening we'll be back again soon with another episode of author in your classroom take care author in your classroom is brought to you by plazoom where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATS revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best-loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible. So please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. 
Let us help you make it happen with author in your classroom and Plazoom.